Welcome to the Heart of Soul podcast, an exploration of who you are, what you are, and why you are, offering new ways to investigate age-old questions at the heart of you. Greetings, it's Joseph, and thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. We continue today to use the existing context we've set to examine some societal issues. This episode begins a series on sex and spirituality, two subjects typically not put together, but here we are. While recording, I struggle to remember my list of six issues that humans are confused about, so here it is now with the benefit of hindsight. Sex, death, love, money, power, and God. You can count on us getting to all of these subjects eventually, some of which we've already covered. Today's episode just scratches the surface of where sex, love, personal power, and God intersect. I remind you, as always, to please listen to this podcast from the beginning and listen to the episodes in order. Thanks so much for listening. Well, welcome forward, listeners, and welcome forward, Stace Barron, who is here again to tell us all sorts of fascinating things. Uh, we've been on a little bit of a theme of, uh, um, we started very big, of course, and as I say always in the intros, start at the very beginning because we've set a whole lot of context, and now we're going, at least for a little while, we've gone into some smaller um, relatively smaller, they're still very big topics, but smaller um, challengings of commonly held truths. And we talked about karma and manifestation last time and um, what arose for us to talk about for at least, I imagine, at least a couple of hours. Uh, Stace, you said three parts, but I, I don't want to promise three parts because we never know how many parts yeah. it's going to be. But <laughs> right. the topic of sex and, sex and spirituality which is particularly uh, hot these days, I think, because um, just my own sort of personal observation, I've been wanting to uh, write a lot. And I've been talking with a lot of my clients um, about how it seems like since 2012, things that were working in relationships are working less and less and less. And so I think it's a particularly hot topic for people these days. Yeah, not, not to mention, um the uh, imbroglio of uh, LGBTQ questions. Uh, oh boy. Le legally, morally, sexually, energetically. Um, Should an eight-year-old be able to choose their gender? Exactly. For, for that, that's example. why I think, yeah, I, that's why I think there are enough uh, uh, smaller dimensions to this, to a sex and spirituality um, uh, a topic uh, that might require multiple um uh, part yeah. two or three parts. We'll see. We'll see though. Yeah. I have a list of, uh, it's been growing occasionally and it was certainly based on uh, some of the things that, uh, I learned from you a long time ago. I can never remember all six, the things that we're most confused about, uh, sex, death, love. I can't, I can't even remember more than three sex, death, love, uh, you can probably say the others. I can't. My my, uh, I had COVID two weeks ago, and my brain is still not recovered, dear listener. So thanks for uh, accommodating that. What are the other three? There's at least three um, others. Uh, at the moment, uh, I cannot bring them to my memory either <laughs> uh, for for various and sundry reasons. So yeah, um, well, I'm sure they'll emerge in this. Yeah, we'll <laughs> in get this, there. Uh, we'll get there. Yeah, money, sex, More death, money, love. money sure. is one. Yeah. Um, and, Oh God. Yeah. I just yeah. can't go there. I've already Sorry. got my, tr my tract of sex and spirituality. Yes. We're going. talking about sex and spirituality. Damn it. So that's what we're <laughs> going to talk about today. Okay. 
So let's uh, let's meta frame uh, this literally um, this this domain of hum- humanness that has bedeviled humanity since the beginning, um, and we can meta frame that. Um, for me, the most uh, uh, provocative and pregnant, um, so to speak, uh, um, <laughs> way to um, speak to it is to say identity's opinion weighing in on what constitutes sober sex and spirituality when you put those two d- domains together what is sober and what's uh, uh, insober um, is that it's it's a one of the first splays and confusions of human consciousness that come out of whether or not divinity is love first will second or will first and love second. Oh, we're going to start all the way at the top. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, consonant with uh, the track we've been on about uh-huh. um, about uh, uh, big truths and how they land in the human domain. In other words, um, humanity looks at all the conflict in the world, in every domain, uh, including uh, sexual domains, as an issue of will the essence of everything, of human consciousness and of divine consciousness, both uh, made of will first, uh, an essential will to create, whether it's a human domain of creation or a divine domain of creation. And that creation is extended and expressed through love secondarily, or whether or not, as so many teachers have said, that God or divinity is love in its most essential aspect and only secondary activates and expresses its love through willfulness. Mm-hmm. So that question I've not heard framed very well in any Western uh, or Eastern spiritual uh, orientation. Uh, they'll talk around uh, the problem with human will. You, we all know what Western uh, religion uh, mostly talks about human will. It's um, the font of the devil, basically. And yeah, because the solution to your problems is surrender in Western religion. Is I like to call it Islamo-Judeo-Christianity because the three are really pretty much the same. Way, way to go, Abraham. Uh, <laughs> yes. You know, go ahead. Um, so yeah, the 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 implicit assumption in in, in Western uh, religion and in, in Islam is that the personal will is the problem, um, uh, and so there's like you said, it's not really metaphysically clearly talked about. But the, then the the implication is then the the will of God is the uh, answer to your problems. But what is the nature of the will of God exactly? And okay, God is love, but we're supposed to be following the will of it and what does that actually mean and how do we know um, yeah you you lasered right in on the opacity and ambiguity uh of of this exact question and it, and it and it has a really direct application identity would offer to um uh, uh whether or not sexuality is driven by well will first or um uh, or love first right because if the personal will is the problem according to these paradigms it doesn't get much more willful than the will <laughs> to procreate that's like the most willful there at least for men there's no stronger will in men than the desire to have sex so it, it comes yeah, to bear which in point of um tiny distinction uh it, it's will to have sex, not will to procreate for men. Yes, right, because we're not interested in having lots and <laughs> no. lots of babies. Good point. <laughs> unless, unless you come from a um, 
um, some of the Latin subcultures on the planet uh, uh, where mucho macho means how uh, is always measured in how many children you can have. Yes. Or, or, or yeah, in Catholicism, um, you know, people will say, well, you have eight kids. Yes, we're blessed is the answer. Like, look at the, the paradigmatic assumptions in that. God okay. loves us. And we're somehow with the will of God because we're producing so many new Catholics. You know, it's astounding. Uh, there's 10 different rabbit holes that just opened up. I, mean, <laughs> yes. I want to catch my breath here because I want to, I want to attract, I want to um, tack onto all or open, knock on all those doors. Yeah. Right. But, but that's a really well put um, uh, sec, second uh, uh, archway that we might mm -hmm. walk through here because when you're talking about will versus love in any human domain, identity offers that whatever moral philosophy we make up, and we make up all of them uh, because <laughs> nobody has channeled divine beings' uh, essence or uh, exactly how to live as a human, no matter what the Quran, the Bible, uh, or the Torah might say. Mm -hmm. Those were all uh, lensed through the um, consciousnesses of the people at the time. So well, straight out, identity wants to just offer, um, and it's always open, of course, uh, with, holds the truth with an, with an open hand, but um, nothing written in a book is big enough to describe God and what it wants, what it is in itself and what it wants for humanity. Yeah. So. Um, that's that's a starting point for it. Mm -hmm. So, um, in other words, if we want to be sober from metaphysics all the way to human expressions, the question of is divinity essentially made of will and secondarily expresses through love, or is, is, is divinity essentially love and expresses secondarily through will, that, that position is going to inform both form and expressions downline and how human beings create principles based in divinity about human behavior. So and what's remarkable to me about this is like this idea, like I, I can't think of a more abstract sounding philosophical question than, I mean, it sounds like monks and nuns would contemplate, you know, in total isolation from life. Is the essence of the divine love or will? And, you know, the average person will be like, what are you talking about? Who cares? Yeah. But as we're going to, I'm sure, get to, um, that's a distinction that colors literally every moment and aspect of human behavior, because we're actually living the answers uh, and the questioning process of that every day and every moment. <laughs> For humanity, more exposing the limits of the answers and the propen propensity of the questions. Mm. Uh, but but I, really well put there, Joseph. Um, if if and we come back to a really basic another secondary but basic assumption nothing can be outside of god if, if, if there's something outside of god god is not god mm -hmm. meaning everything including the human um uh, theater of expression form and expression is within god and if 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 this a third assumption that we're all thus somehow progeny or downline creation uh, um, ends and means to divine beings, whatever planet has to be what it is. Uh, uh, every bit of human activity is inextricably tied to this question. 
because yeah, yeah. we are all downline expressions of divinity in some way if you want to go the God route. If there's no God, then, of course, we're back to making up our own moral moralities and humanistic materialism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I just had a thought that I don't think has occurred to me before. Um, I don't know if I can find the words for it through the uh, the muddiness of recovering from COVID, but I'll try. That the idea that we're working out uh, in expression essential issues from the divine is an analog to that we're working out the issues of our parents uh, wow, as local yes. personalities. And I think I felt a little bit of a contraction in me of, I don't want to have to deal with God's essence issues or, or whatever, but here I am, there's no way around that in the same way, whatever our parents didn't give us, upstream of that, whoever our parents were, we may not want to deal with that, but here we are. It's there's yeah. no escaping that. Well, really well put, and um, bring right the, the sharp edge of the uh, pencil to the paper on that, <laughs> Joseph. Exactly right. That this fundamental, uh, seminal kind of a topic is God will first love second love first will second, a as you said, informs every nanosecond. Of, of human activity, and that that truth, has that meta-meta-meta truth has not been philosophically uh, or secularly considered, um, what the impacts are on the secular human life. How does it connect to the divinity of divinity? Um, for example, um, secularism says there's no, of course, divine context. But um, you can still use the word secular when you're talking about downline human content, uh, the secular sure. version of divinity. See, So uh, um, this is a really interesting question, and how the hell do we um, uh, answer it? So all we can do, and all I could do uh, in my younger years is, um, what is my sense of it? And my sense of it agrees with most spiritual teachers, esoteric and exoteric, that have claimed that God is love. That's 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 a starting place from which there are infinite doors to um, uh, define what we actually mean by that, yeah. right? And so uh, the identities assumption starts with that basic orientation, and uh, that is that it is essentially love, and that it um, secondarily expresses willfully in creation. Now, I would like to uh, bet bookmark here in this moment that that's a whole downline podcast based on how God, um, a divine being, became came aware, self-aware of itself. Uh, that comes out of that. But I just want to benchmark a bookmark yeah. right here that we'll talk about that. But we're going to start with this one because of the topic at hand. Mm -hmm. So um, sex and spirituality uh, based in that, in that um, foundation has been a, a, a real thorn in the side <laughs> of uh, Eastern and Western religionism, um, uh, with only one really overlapping exception uh, for East and West, and that is um, uh, um, the uh, whole teaching from the East of, um, oh God, I just lost the word. The body wants what the body wants? <laughs> no, um, uh, Tantra, Tantric. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. That, that attempts to build uh, some sort of contextual framework for spirit, sex, and spirituality, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, they tried to uh, include it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And there are Western and Eastern forms of that. Um, but uh, the majority of positions of God-fearing people, and we'll come back to that, God-fearing people, is um, that sex and spirituality are somehow intrinsically at odds. Yeah. Intrinsically at odds. Be- that's the, And that's a downstream uh, sequelae, sequelum, I forget what the singular is, of mm-hmm. uh, uh, of God and uh, humans are intrinsically separate. Yes. Oh, beautifully said, yes. Uh, when you separate, when, when there's two fundamentally different domains that God dwells in and human beings dwell in, uh, you immediately create an artificial, humanly, anthropomorphologically projected schism yeah. uh, when there is absolutely utter seamlessness between mm-hmm. divinity and humanity, seamlessness, and not one Western religion articulates that metaphysically very well, much less articulate how that affects then downline philosophies, moralities, ethics, and behaviors. Down to day-to-day marriage problems with what to do with the man wants more sex than the woman or vice versa or whatever. Yeah, there's, there's very little helpful context for any of that. You bet. So, with that secondary big context in mind, that's religious, uh, where God and divinity has been articulated to some um, institutionalized uh, parameters. Almost always, it's um, it's uh, it's uh, sex and spirituality are somehow at odds. That you cannot live uh, a laic, um, a lusty, alive life. At the same time, you can be devoted in quieter, internal, more meditative states to access your linked divinity. Right, like uh, it's the, in uh, uh, is, it's in Christianity that the nuns technically marry Jesus. Yes, yes, yeah. and yeah. of course, the priests ceremony. don't get to have sex and all that. Yeah, exactly right. That, that's exactly why uh, uh, clergy are asexual, supposedly. <laughs> as if all those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of orphanages built in the Middle Ages to house the um, children of priests and nuns uh, mm. somehow just didn't exist. Yeah. Uh, but the point being, um, the principles then drive the behaviors. Mm-hmm. And again, this is a critical thinking 101 that our, 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 our world just does not do well with the teaching, which should be done in high school at the very mm-hmm. latest, mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the uh, link between the assumed principle and the behavioral modifications and socialization contracts that come out of it, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, where's the twain meet here between sex and spirituality? When, when there's been in the West and the East, which where there's a huge still present bandwidth in Eastern esotericism, that sexuality uh, 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 and the enlightened path are also exclusionary mm. um, with, a, with, with some, some exceptions like Osho. Uh, <laughs> yes, he uh, built a kind uh, of Tantra-like model himself. Yeah, exactly right. Um, for his own edification, um, bless us, his enlightened identity would acknowledge um, that he was truly enlightened in all the aspects that um, Eastern, Eastern esotericism holds. And this little prankster um, 
uh, I'm not that tall myself, but this little guy uh, uh, <laughs> really um, t- took it upon himself to try try to build a bridge between Eastern Enlightenment, Eastern-based Enlightenment, and Western-based um, uh, will-based uh, uh, expressions of sexuality. With ideas like go have sex with someone you're not attracted to in order to you know, push your conditioning around sexuality. It's actually just not a not an unclever idea, you know. No, I, I when I first heard him, uh, Joseph, that he had done that, I said, "Good effort, good yeah. starting place." Yeah. It, would, it, it wouldn't work, of course, uh, uh, given the complexity of human consciousness. But when you see human consciousness as, as either dualistically illusory or non-dualistically real. Uh, when you already splay your worldview that way, um, that was the best he could do. And that yeah, was that's a totally that, reasonable thing to do if that's your picture of reality. Yeah, exactly. And that just right there, what you just said, mm-hmm. our pictures of reality, our worldviews, our paradigms, which we've been beating to death with canes, basically, mm-hmm. uh, uh, your, par- your paradigm defines every value in your, in, in your system. And if you don't connect the assumptions based of your paradigm, then you're never going to untie all the knots that get tied in downline uh, 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 expressions and behaviors that are, are supposedly driven by the paradigm's uh, assumptions. Mm. So, yeah, um, you can combine enlightenment, if you like, by having uh, sex with people that you're not attracted to because that undermines the ego. It's very clever. Uh, unfortunately, identity offers that really, and, and I speak with personal experience, how much that's screwed with. Uh, the fourth and second chakras of all the people who came out of Osho's um, ashrams, yeah. uh, they really got confused on, on that whole system. And let's, let's address that right at this moment. The chakra teachings, um, where second chakra is deemed um, across the board, and identity would agree with this, um, that second chakra is, is, is um, uh, uh, um, representative or expressive of both um, s- sexuality and creativity, mm-hmm. which is why we, we create, um, we literally procreate through the act of sex, right? And fourth chakra um, uh, and fourth chakra is all the heart and love expressions that are in front of us that way, um, the local um, personality versions of uh, what love means. So second and, fo- and, 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 and fo- fourth chakra have between them, not, not uncoincidentally, third chakra, which is the basis of personal power. And the, and the basis for willfulness in the fifth chakra comes out of the deeper personal power in three. So if three is not divinated, I can make a verb out of this, has not been ensouled, if the basis of our personal power has not been ensouled, two and four, two cannot move through three in ways that vibrate harmoniously with four. So the separation of two and four which is inherent in sexuality in most Western religions and a good share of Eastern points of view are all because chakrally, the seat of our personal power has been kidnapped by um, unhealed and unconscious domains of our personal consciousness in any one lifetime. So 
we can assign, we can, we can find a chakral correspondence to the split between sex and spirituality, East and West. Um, and, e and even when in Osho's picture, there is no personal power. It's only an illusion. There is no third chakral essential personal power. So yeah, um, uh, start with two and uh, you'll find you can, you can have more fun. You know, if, you, if you transcend uh, uh, all the attractive bandwidths, um, of that ego makes uh, and prefers and uh, over attaches to and the ego's in third. So ego, the center of ego is in third. Mm -hmm. uh, if that's an illusion, well then have fun, mm -hmm. have fun. The body wants, as you said, starting out the, mm -hmm. the body wants what the body wants. And that's been um, repeated over and over, over the centuries by Eastern um, esoteric. So what we predict then is that uh, attempts to deal with the split between uh, sexuality and heart are sort of strategies related to the third chakra. What what it's going to have to do with something there? Transcend the ego, which is in your third. So just forget about it. Have fun, for example, which is what Osho had us do, or exactly. tantra would have a, a different kind of uh, way of doing that. But it would still be uh, how to manage your third chakra issues, whereas identity would be addressing how to heal your third chakra issues. Right. Precisely. It has its own dharma, and that's the whole, the third chakra is the whole domain of personhood. And since Buddhism and Eastern esotericism and Western exotericism were all seeded, grown, blossomed, and leafed and fruited pre, in a pre-psychological era, they are woefully ignorant of the complexity of human consciousness the reality of ego, what the real reality of ego is, either it's the font of the devil in originally the West, sinned. Yeah. originally sin, or it's an illusion. Yeah, there's no no spiritual tradition of any import that has affected uh, 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 billions. Those the, the pictures of East and West have affected billions and billions of people over the ages, and they all. Those billions and billions have all been taught east and west that third chakra is originally sin infected or an illusion, right? Ego. I see. So the third chakra is like it's the seat of a problem that can't be outworked, really. So not, you just not have in to, either of those. Yeah, yeah. Not, it can't be outworked. Either. So no. either transcend it or surrender to that you're a sinner, yes. uh, and rather than heal it, which is what identity would say, and actually create a bridge between two and four. Yeah, and the, the, one, the amazing grace, which is this amazingly uh, uh, in angelically inspired um, music. Mm. I choke every time the lyric comes that, um, uh, uh, that saved a wretch yeah. like me, a wretch. That's the unworthy original sin. I don't know how Judy... Collins and um, the the songwriter um, uh, who wrote it. Um, oh God, my I memory. can't remember. Yeah, um, how how she, both of, well, how Judy could sing it and how the woman who wrote it could write "wretch" um, is a, a, a true signal. An emotively mature songwriter or singer could not come up with, nor would they sing the word "wretch." Yeah. When it of course, comes the sinner. Sinner would have been a kinder 
word in that place. It, it wouldn't have. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, uh, the, con- the, the, the connotation. Yeah. yeah. Wretch uh, is really bad. I mean, it's, it's almost evil. It's on it's, the way to essentially evil. It's, it's unforgivable. Yeah. Except yeah. by the almighty. Right. right? So um, here's, here's where we frame. We've been spending the last 20 minutes here trying to frame from highest meta to middle meta why there's so much problematic uh, bandwidths in human uh, in the human race about sexuality and spirituality. Uh, we've just named multiple reasons why there's never been an adequate bridge there between sexuality, the lustiness and aliveness of the human condition, most densely, in a positive way, densely um, expressed through sexuality, arguably, um, uh, have the, never the twain has met. Um, but here's where identity says, here's, here's the small little round window we go into that opens up into a huge valley of exploration. And that is that um, uh, 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 the issue, if we just reframe it, tweak it a little bit, that sexuality equals aliveness, mm. aliveness. Then, then all of the issues in third that have been unsolvable given Eastern and Western guidances about God and divinity, um, there's no way that there's, if there's no ego there existing in third or it's originally sinned, then there's no way for that to be supple, alive, and expressive. So the, 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 the aliveness of sexuality in second has no anchor of being to then uh, uh, link to how to guide us and how we're supposed, what we're supposed to do with this fundamental drive. That, and that's uh, what we would say is happening when a priest molests a young boy is at essence, it's an, the aliveness that must express, but there's no frame for how that can be done healthily and appropriately. So it squirts out like putting your thumb over a garden hose. Um, so to speak, what a Greek metaphor <laughs> there, Mr. Sorry. Sort of squirts out. That was no, a graphic was, metaphor, yeah. No, no, but we're, we're going to be a little um, uncharacteristically spiritually graphic yes. in, these, uh, in these because there's no reason not to. Yeah. Um, that's all, again, a way down line. Ooh, that was a little graphic. No, that was perfect, right? Mm. And, and, and there it is. Uh, uh, the Pope before the Pope before the Pope before the Pope said that um, uh, all of the, the um, Catholic millennia-old um, uh, pedophilia was due to the 60s. Uh, <laughs> this uh, this okay. is not an exaggeration. Um, uh, when this has been a millennial problem for the Catholic, for the Christian church, Catholic and, and Protestant, evangelical both, um, all through the ages. Uh, so for a pope, to say that this is a result only of the 60s was to try to shift. (laughs) I just want to paradigmatically unpack that for a second. So it's because of the 60s, because the cultural conditioning of the sexual revolution seeped into the uh, clergy of the church and caused them to be tempted, you know, just like Eve was because we're originally sinned and yes. temptation versus walking the straight and narrow path is why we're here. It all connects up. Oh, beautiful, be- great connection here. What you oh, just, yeah. that, oh boy. You can see the enormity of what we're trying to 
as best as we can cogently move through here, which we have to name all these contexts first before, mm-hmm. because to, to, to square out the problem for people, people have never been conditioned or been educated to look at it through that, that sense of those sensibilities, right? Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> so a pedophilia in the Catholic Church is exactly what you just said. Um, there's, they, you have to deadify two to become a priest. And you're supposed to non-sexually expand four to compensate. Mm-hmm. I offer that the, the ongoing pedophilia of the Catholic Church, especially, is, is, is an unavoidable and predictable sequela to the fact that two and four are, cannot be connected. Because three is defined as the font of original sin. And so there is no way to link love and sexuality. And that means there has to be an undeadening in priests and nuns. Uh, and that and enlightened folks. There's and a, they, enlightened they, there's folks, a deadening there too. Absolutely. Uh, and there, there are some there. I, I met a, an, an adherent um, uh, who, who said that he never lets himself ejaculate so that he doesn't impede his, um, his, uh, his uh, enlightenment track. Right, mm-hmm. he goes right to the edge of it and then null, nulls it out with uh, the meditative dissolution of uh, selfhood. Right, mm-hmm. so that there is a beautiful example of a starting place. Look how long it took to even get to a, to a starting <laughs> place here uh, in this topic of why uh, uh, um, the Catholic Church's pedophilia is an ongoing thing, and and that Pope, the Pope, the Pope before the Pope before the Pope, I think is more accurate. He said that because the mass media was finally starting to illuminate the problem. And so, mm-hmm. oh, he wanted to stay right with that illumination moment of media and say, oh, it was just caused by the 60s, just like 20 years ago. Instead of real, <laughs> instead of admitting, which the Catholic Church has known completely for uh, almost two, uh, 1,500 years, that it has, it has spanned back all the way to the Middle Ages. So the duplicity and the lying uh, and the blame shifting uh, inherent to that simple statement is exactly an imprimatur of the bankruptcy of the metaphysics of Christianity. And they, they can't look at their um, the issues of sexuality because if they were actually honest and, and true to look at it, it would unravel uh, the entire paradigm. Yes. There are some strings <laughs> in, the, in the metaphysical weave of any paradigm, if you pull on one or two of them, like, like um, a Jenga set, uh, uh-huh. it, the entire thing collapses and sexuality and its positions about it are, is exactly one of those Jenga sticks yeah. uh, that, that the whole thing goes south, literally. Mm. So where does that leave us? Josephus, where does that leave us? I don't know. <laughs> I'm still spinning by all this context. We have to bring it down another level. I don't know. I'm sure you're going to be able to pull that off somehow, but I can't. Okay. So um, that was a rhetorical question anyway. Of course. So I, um, I'm kind of literal. I, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm searching for the next <laughs> door to knock on. So it was actually. Uh, well, uh, I think um, we've effectively defined the problem. Okay. So one, now we well, can talk about the solution. Fac- what, one facet of the problem. Yeah. And I'd like to make a headline here too. This split between divinity and and sexuality um, uh, 
feeds directly in, and we'll get into how and why in a little while, maybe not even this this uh, episode, um, but uh, to the whole LGBTQ. Um, oh, yeah, I really want to talk about that. Going yeah. on um, where, where all I can say is stay tuned because the whole LGBT um, uh, issue is also a function of an unhealed personal power in and chakra three. Um, it, there would be no such thing as there'd be LGBTQ people, but there'd be no there'd be no confusion. There'd be no uh, cultural um, uh, uh, antipathy. Uh, there'd be no polarizations about it. There'd be no how dare you not use the right pronoun with me on yes. their side. Um, there'd be none of that in a in a healthy ego. Um, in an ego, what we mean by ego is the sense of personal self, which we've talked about in, in 17 previous um, <laughs> podcasts, uh, 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 is an essential real function of a soul eye. Okay. Different than the mind eye, as we've been talking about relative to the East's picture of the eye. Right. So that, that connection between divinity and humanity Let's, this is the next, how we go to the next place here, mm-hmm. is that since it's seamless and everything that the divine being is in love gets all compressed and twisted in human beings issue with an unresolved issue with personal willfulness, because it has, the ego has never been granted essential spirituality in itself, East or West. The whole issue of how divine being and human, its human expression of itself are seamless in the same picture of things. Uh, the, the whole issue of sex and sexuality cannot be solved or even begun to be solved till you, re- to you, till you um, uh, grant the personal I is spiritual of and to itself. Without that, it's not spiritual of and to itself in the East and not spiritual of and to itself in the West. And because that is the case, there's a break in the seamlessness, mm-hmm. uh, downline fractally between us and our lives and the divine being's life and our life. Uh, it all goes through the same uh, sluice gate, you could say. Mm-hmm. In other words, when we talked before in a previous pod- podcast uh, just a few times ago about the God eye the soul eye, and the mind eye, that picture of identity um, uh, uh, ameliorates any any, uh, dissonances between the God eye and the soul eye and the mind eye, and it all pivots on the spiritualization of the personal eye or or, um, ego, Mm. what we call it here. So we can't have any conversation um, about about, um, what could be a link between sex and spirituality to end this millennial old schism, uh, East and West largely, uh, uh, um, that has affected billions and billions of lives, unless we um, uh, proudly stand for the fact that the personal I is real in, in three dimensions, God I, soul I, and mind I, and that all three are real, but some things are more real than something else. Mm. The God eye is the realist. The soul eye is the next realist. And the mind eye is the least realist. But they're all real. No illusions anywhere. No sin anywhere. Just human beings exploring their divinity as uh, flesh-based beings. 
And so identity would question any paradigm that uh, attempts to help with sexuality. It would question like, well, what is your frame for what the I is, whether or not it's divine, and how sexuality fits into that picture. Whereas most paradigms, you know, I'm thinking like an MFCC or an LCSW or Uh Tantra or whatever, anything that would attempt to help with sexuality is operating inside a larger paradigm about sexuality, even though they don't necessarily tell you what that paradigm is. Yes. And so because of that, you're stuck inside that box where they, you know, the, um, uh, I mean, I don't know even what, 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 what is the psychological, uh, a secular psychological, you know, MFCC picture of what sex is and what the self is, what box are they operating in? I, I can't even well, pull that I, out of my I, head. I, I can't either at the moment. Um, I focus on the the more uh, pervasive ones in our yeah, world yeah, cultures. Yeah, right. uh, like but let's let's go to tantra um, uh, in that way um, because it's 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 an aberration, but it's an attempt, like Osho's clever yeah. little bridge of um, no ego in sex. Um, tantra would say, from what I know, and I've known many tantrists, um, that somehow the self is a divine spark. Uh, of of creation and tantra in some form or another and there's dozens and dozens and dozens of forms of uh, tantric sure. teachings a lot of them misunderstood in the west actually uh, that um that will acknowledge that it's a, that, that that the human consciousness is divine in some way and that sexuality is a means that we have to reach and expand our innate divinity to greater aspections of divinity right ah, so a tantra tantrika would say see look it's sex is included in the divine what's what's the problem yeah the problem is is that uh, tantra doesn't um at least uh, the ancient forms and the and and not very many of the present forms ever go near what is emotionally mature based uh, um, ego, divine spark, doing tantra. Because uh, emotions are an aspect of the mind in that paradigm, and the mind is the problem as it's part of the ego, and that's what has to be gotten out of the way so that you can sexually celebrate the divine. Absolutely. That's one faction, and the other, that's one main faction. The other mind fa- main faction, that it's not the mind that's the pro- that, that we're made of, but it's energy. Oh, okay, uh, sure. Energy. Bo- both those are true. I've seen both of those shadings in most tantra, tantric um Mm-hmm. offerings so their paradigm right off the bat um does not um align with the the even though they will go part way and say okay in an energetic way we're part of divinity or in a, a, a driven by mind concepts of um of how god and god can be reached through energetic manipulations and sexuality being one domain of that um, they think they've got the answer uh, put together but because Tantra, again, was, was um, uh, uh, derived and uh, incubated and curated through ancient pre-psychological um, uh, Hindu-influenced uh, uh, um, teachings, uh, Tantra has no picture whatsoever, as you just said, that, that our soul eye is emotive-based. Our mind eye is mental-based, but our soul eye is emotive-based downline in alignment with how the love of our god eye the love essence of god eye translates through our individuated soul eye and love is an emotive dynamic it's not a mental one 
A lot of people argue it's an energetic uh, dynamic, um, uh, uh, the soul. Everything's made of energy. Yeah, but here's common here. new age subscription, yeah. Exactly right. And Tantra anticipated that uh, uh, a couple thousand years ago, or a little, little less than that, actually, if I'm historically correct here. So here we come to what we've talked about before also, but here we come into it to knocking on a sexualized door, is that that um, uh, when we're talking about uh, um, making uh, uh, um, our human aspects and our divine aspects confluent, we have to start with emotivity as the essence of our consciousness, not energy. Mm -hmm. um, and how identity offers that, and this can be self-validated, um, that there's something previously essential to energy. Energy is a secondary expression of the essence of love, which is not definable. Everyone in these pictures say love is an energy. Maybe the highest energy, okay, but it's the energy. It's an energy. It's not the. Uh, I had to make up a word um, derived from a couple other um, older paradigms. Um, Icor, e i c h o r. Icor, i c h o r, is an English um, downline for the blood of the gods. Icor. Uh, this came out of Greek, and um, um, I believe I might be wrong on this Babylonian uh, historicities. But Icor, but I put an E at the beginning of it to say it's emotive. Um, it's emotive. Icor is upstream of energy, the essence of God, the essence of divinity that we can never really know, but you can learn to experience. It will not fit in this uh, puny uh, peanut shell of a brain uh, or a mind associated with the brain. But it can be felt and experienced uh, very deftly, and it requires a lot of, um, of uh, 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 healing of the soul eye to be able to do that. But that's the offering, and that's where at least we're if we're, we might be wrong, uh, identity might be wrong in all this, but we're paradigmatically sober. Uh, that emotivity, unless a paradigm defines the human eye-based consciousness, no matter where you assign that eye, uh, as as uh, essentially ichoric or essentially made of love, therefore essentially made of emotivity, then any solutions to the human condition, whether it's a financial, a sexual, an intimate, uh, a, a spiritual, a religious, nothing can be outworked until you start to define human consciousness as primarily emotive. And there's a connection there uh, between uh, will first, love second, and energy first, emotion second. What's there's a parallel there, right? Oh, beautifully said. Yes, um, uh, will is an energetic, ah, for right. sure. So willfulness will be equated with um, what? What did you just say? Uh, so the idea, the 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 the. The prevalent idea in New Age spirituality and other places that everything is energy is right. coming from yes. uh, the mm -hmm. idea that the divine is will first and love second. Even though that would be likely a surprise. Yeah, they wouldn't realize that, but that's <laughs> the metaphysical principle. That, yeah, That's the linkage. Thanks for saying that. That's exactly right. I wouldn't have thought to put it that way. But uh, will and because will is an energetic downline, in other words, we would say uh, second chakra's uh, creativity and aliveness. Third is um, personal power, the seat of the eye. Four is um, uh, uh, love and local and downline expressions. 
And fifth is will. Now let's go another direction chakrally here, which is really informative. If you've got a healthy eye and three, a healthy seat of personal power, a healthy ego, which by the way is emotive in, um, in essence. So you have to have an emotive pair of dharma to heal the personal eye. Well, I mean, just, just the phrase healthy ego is an oxymoron in like every paradigm in the planet just, except for identity, right? Yes, exactly right. So if we we before we we did um, a slice of two, three, and four. Now let's go three, four, and five. Um, personal power, when healed of its conscious and unconscious emotive congestion, is supposed to move through love and then actuate will. Mm-hmm. So when three is obstru- uh, obstructed with inauthentic, emotively immature bases and foundations of of the personal self, it cannot be informed by love on its way to will, so it'll jump over. Well, the uh, the way I was just thinking about it was um, if the soul eye is blocked and not embodied and coming through in three, which is that our love connection to the divine then yes. we're left with a survivalish kind of will instead that moves up instead. That's how I was just thinking about it. Is that true? Uh, also? A survival-based energy that, energy, that is, right. does not, is not informed by love and goes straight to will. Goes right. So our defenses hold back the vulnerable love yes. because of our childhood wounding and then lead with the safer, less vulnerable energy. And yes. then that rises up uh, energetically through the chakras. Exactly right. The first expression of, uh, of the energy aspect of divine divinity is will. Oh, of energy. Of, yeah. Okay. Of energy is will. Uh, first, it's made of I-Core love. Second, it's made of willfulness. And that willfulness expresses energetically. It moves. Willfulness moves in us and makes movement in the outside. But that's where the top ends of our consciousnesses have been led to a dead end, including all enlightened spiritual teachers, East and West, that have never seen past. They might say God is love, but they have no paradigm where the rubber meets the human road that, that brings the ramifications of that all the way down. And we'll go all the way down here to the base, most dense form of energy that human beings are capable of, and that's sexuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. It's just because it's so dense and it has such a provocative kind of capacity and an impulse in earlier uh, uh, chapters of the human race's um, civilization building to create more people. Um, it, it's an impulse that cannot be, identity offers, cannot be abrogated or um, vilified without disastrous ramifications yeah. and that's what we've been speaking to this whole podcast so far right mm-hmm. is that that the unless the personal self is seen as love-based and spiritual in itself then the impulses in two are going to be vilified in some way east and west anti-enlightenment anti-surrender to god 
Um, no priests, priests can't have, uh, uh, can't be married. Um, nuns, uh, literally, I, my, I lost my virginity to an ex-nun. Yeah, I think uh, you mentioned that before on the podcast. That's one I, of my okay. favorite trivia pieces about your yes. life. Yeah, and uh, she verified. And I was, I was raised Catholic, of course, and thought I wanted to be a priest. Uh, uh, when I was 12 or 13 and not no 11, because by the time I was 12, uh, girls, I liked too much. <laughs> so, so, um, and, and talking with her and us both, she left the convent for lots of the same reasons why I left it at age 11. She left it in her early twenties. Uh, but, uh, they literally marry Jesus. Um, and Jesus is their husband. Uh, and, and therefore, they must save their yonis. Um, uh, they must spiritualize their yonis and not let any man in there because Jesus is supposed to live there, you see. And so this is... It raises not- so many questions. I mean, just that one idea, so many questions like, but they're not actually having sex with Jesus. So that means a marriage without sex is a good thing. Or and it's also polyamory in one way, so it raises lots of questions. Well, if I remember right, now that's fifty years ago. But um, I, the, you know, your your first sexual experience is um, quite memorable. Quite, quite, yeah, it's memorable. Yeah. Um, I once asked her. I think, uh, bless her heart, she was a wonderful person. Uh, uh, if 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 nuns secretly or ostensibly, or was it supported or not supported, masturbated while they thought of Jesus. i was in my early 20s ask or 19 20 years old when i asked that question of this that's the power of taking a paradigm to its logical conclusion right there it doesn't doesn't that make sense i mean uh 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 uh, she wasn't shocked by the question Uh (laughs) you know if i remember correctly and uh um i i could i know i remember your name i don't want to say it in public here but if you're if you ever come across these podcasts and you gave we were we both were virgins i think if i remember correctly with each other that way maybe you had one set before you enter the nunnery i'm not sure but um uh she was not shocked by the question at all and uh, she said that she tried it once but felt so um, uh, conflicted by it that she had to stop oh, because wow. because she couldn't sort out she was trying to think of Jesus while she masturbated and 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 the fact that she um, uh, uh, if my memory is correct here 50 years ago please bear with me that 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 the sexual impulses became so carnalized that it took her out of the Jesus mode you know and so mm-hmm. there was a perfect example that the two could not find um, uh, resonance with each other, mm. but it was a logical question. I thought, uh, yeah. so, so this whole, w- what we've talked about up until now is not only the problems associated metaphysically with the sex and sexuality in our race for thousands and thousands of years, we've even pointed out why they, how those, um, metaphysical dystrophies shore up and support ongoing confusion about how to bring the two together and will never change in summation to this aspect of this today's podcast until uh, the self is seen as spiritual love unto itself and that the self itself, the, our I-ness altogether is spiritual of unto itself and not just carnal or an illusion or the font of original sin. And that's not just a belief to have. It's something that we must actually experience. You must experience yourself as spiritual for this actually to play out in healthy ways. Correct. As you said just a few moments ago, uh, 
divine be- or um, identity calls um, its three its its triad of dharmas as personhood and soulment, mm-hmm. sagehood and soulment, and sainthood and soulment, not enlightenment, and soulment, because we're all soul eyes before we have mind eyes and pers- personality conditioned eyes. Mm-hmm. And so um, all three are about ensouling the mental body, the willful body, and the emotional body, the emotional body and personhood, the, um, the um, a mental body and um, sagehood, and the willful body and sainthood. And that way, unless there's an alignment of those three, we're going to get exactly all the perturbations of confusion and twisted, metaphysically bankrupt positions about sex and sexuality, spirituality and sex. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So that was a lot. That's a lot, and this is why I think um, it'll be two or three uh, parts to this particular arc, because it, we had to define from the top down how the bottom up results relate to our misconceptions and misconditionings of the top down reality of things. Mm-hmm. And that's why none of our opinions and identity, which are always, as you, as we say over and over, are meant to be investigated, not believed in. Test them, test them, test them. And if you don't think that they work for you, find a paradigm that works for you until it dead ends. So the, uh, I'm just itching for practicality here. That That's my job uh, here as the okay. producer. Um, so then the, the bridge to where we'll be talking about next, I'm guessing, would be to say any problems in sexuality, one would want to look for uh, where a will first love second paradigm and subsequent conditioning is actually at the root cause somehow. We, let's say root contributive. Yeah, yeah. Root contributive. No, you're on the right track there. Exactly. So we'll try. You'll have to remind me when we get into some downline um, more practical examples, how that will first thing might apply. I might lose it um, as I get rolling, as I often do. So yes, that's exactly the next step here. And if there's um, one downline currently topical issue that comes to your mind as the producer who wants to bring it to the rubber to the road here, um, we can we have a little time left to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, we got another ten or fifteen minutes. Um, so well, what comes? What what do you think might help listeners? Um, uh, uh, really um, uh, questions about how do I solve the issue of blah, blah, blah in sexual intimacy or sexual casualty? What does identity say about casual sex, for example? Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, when in couples, when one partner wants more sex than the other. Oh, that's, well, that's way down line. Okay. Yeah, uh, that's, that's, <laughs> we're, it's we're gonna, common. No, it is. We're going to make skid marks. That's so right to go back to the road there. We got skid marks. Uh, uh, so let's, 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 ta- let's unpack that a little bit. Um, you can't, identity would offer in a basic psychological terms, as I know from you having gone through the Dharma of all three to some degree uh, 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 to be conversant and expert about, um, that if one, that the desire for more or less sex always must be investigated first as a psychological issue. It has to be. Um, Not a medical issue. It might be a medical issue, 
that that role that that falls in 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 erectile dysfunction, for example, or some other uh, metabolic or hormonal oversufficiency or undersufficiency. Of course, that's another one. But first and foremost, um, we would identity would look for a psychological reason, and if that couldn't be identified work through and healed, then we would look for the medical problem um, uh, in the body about it. Mm-hmm. But the vast majority in my experience um, of the human condition is that um, the question of what is, um, is, oh, is, is neurotic-based desire for a lot of sex or a neurotic-based desire for less sex. Mm-hmm. That's the first doorway we go through, assuming there's a neurotic um, a, a wound based for both. And they're not, they're not antipodes that too much sex or too little sex. If the if couples uh, have that problem, we would first investigate if there's a wound based reason for the partner who wants too little and a, and a wound based reason for um, why would a person would want more than what the partner that they committed to, I'm assuming yeah. meaning a committed relationship, exclusive relationship. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. in contrast, uh, I would uh, assume that identity would not suggest any kind of compromise be attempted, which is probably what a lot of uh, um, therapists would you know, advocate for, some kind of negotiation of like finding some middle ground like, like a mediator would. And that is exactly a therapeutic, uh, all that can be left in that way, in that one one way, uh, uh, to try to address the problem because they don't have emotional first um, pictures to ther- therapeutic interventions. Uh, that uh, were so not- that would actually be a will-based dynamics. Like it's like uh, absolutely uh, like a negotiation of wills. Okay, well, your personal will wants sex right. five times a week, and yours wants two times a week. Let's negotiate this at the level of will and mind. Exactly, and that is the absolute shallowest, uh, the shallowest waters of the whole question. Uh, and and sorrowfully, um, one that I've encountered so many times working who, with therapists who come to identity um, and and learn what they have been taught uh, as their interventional bases, uh, and and how shallow it must stay for them to only try to find a will-based negotiated solution. Now here's where we come in with soul age from our mm-hmm. previous podcast, right? right? For younger souls. Uh, that is completely reasonable. Uh, the, a younger soul, anywhere from one to 150 lifetimes on the planet, uh, our shining blue pearl here, um, uh, that's all they can do. They, all they can do is, in the beginning um, incarnations, work in the shallow waters as they get their feet wet, literally, uh, in how to be a soul and a person in one chapter of human life. So we're not running down that those solutions are out there. But I, I say it said so often, um, identity, I, I dedicated my life to this paradigm because the only demographic, like we said, that is underserved spiritually, psychologically, um, therapeutically, energetically, and emotionally are elder souls. There's plenty of interventions that work for younger souls. My idea was I wanted to serve that demographic, not as any sort of elitism, but as the only underserved demographic, uh, because most of the time elder souls just don't buy into um, younger souls' paradigms. 
So if you've done waking down, for example, say you've had lots of lifetimes in the East and you've enlightened, you're trying to wake down into your humanity and how to make the two come together, for example, which is all based in will and energy, not love, uh, that whole that whole paradigm. Even though Waking they down about, in mutuality, wouldn't they actually say that the mutuality part is love, though? Well, um, what they would call mutuality, um, they might they might assign a, a, a meta space to the, to bring love in there some way, but since that paradigm is not based on um, uh, human consciousness is um, emotive first and it's energy first, uh, mm-hmm. it, w- it would have to be a pretty slimly uh, edible uh, nutrition. <laughs> Yeah, and back to what we were saying before, basically, for the purposes of evaluating paradigms in the world now, if they don't say that uh, the soul I is fundamentally emotive, then they must be coming from will first by default. By default. Now, that will may be a gently edged will. Yeah. Or a sharp-edged will. Uh-huh. Scientology, that's about the sharpest edge yeah. one you can get. Very, just look yeah. at just look at Tom Cruise. You know, it's all you need. Um, so uh, that that's a really important point, Joseph. And that's the most incisive way to do paradigmatic thinking. Any paradigm, psychological, spiritual, financial, anything, any any domain, if it doesn't see human beings and human consciousness as emotive first, by default. It's going to be. Uh, it can't. It can't. It can't do otherwise because willfulness is our second most basic aspect of being. So if you and, can't get to the first, you're going to just get stuck at the second. And nonviolent communication, for example, would be a very gentle form of will. Yes, sure. Uh, and so, I mean, what we're really saying in between the lines here is that most of what people call love is just a very gentle form of will. Yes. Yes. Oh, oh, I never thought of putting it that, that way. Makes, I'm feeling a, a pain in my third chakra about that. That's a really uncomfortable thing to observe. Say, say it again. That, that most of what we call love is just a very gentle form of will. Yes. And that we try to make it more and more gentle and wonder why it never really satisfies us or works because it's not actually love. Here's where it's such a beautiful, um, uh, uh, I'm glad you have a little stomachache about it. Because well, that applies a, to me. That's why. Well, oh, I, I was going to say maybe it applied paradigmatically for you that too. too maybe yeah. it applies too. Sure, but um, here's where Gibran comes to mind and heart right away. That love lays waste to your garden mm. like the north wind. There is nothing gentle about real love. Nothing. Yeah. But but unless you base your definitive foundational essence of consciousness and human consciousness included um, in, in love, the, the, the alive vitality, the, the, the fierceness of the, of the power of love. It isn't just trying to, if you try to box it into gentle, Oh, love versus will love versus will yeah. you're, you're missing love altogether. What the essence of it is. And we've not ever been taught psychological, spiritual, or emotional, what love really is and its aliveness. You have poets like Gibran bring it so ideologically, purely, and wonderfully, and poetically. Real love lays waste your, your, your garden. Uh, I once um, had a group of three couples when I was starting out. Here's a good example of this. We can uh, move to close here, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the three couples, one couple, I, I chose the group because one couple fought all the time. Another couple never fought. And, and the third couple did half and half, uh, never to resolution. There was no resolution in any three of them. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the, the upshot of that little uh, um, uh, story uh, or historicity is that the couple that never fought after being in group um, with uh, the couple that fought all the time, uh, they were on the verge of divorce. And uh, uh, the um, ones that, the ones who fought all the time had a much more vital bond, uh, but it didn't resolve to mutual satisfactions. And uh, the middle couple, of course, just bounced back and forth between the two and didn't know what they were doing. But the couple, the, the woman um, in one session goes right to the heart of what you just said, said, you know, leaning to her, her husband at the time, she said, if we could fight like that, we wouldn't be near divorce. Wow. And he said, and his eyes open wide and he goes, they don't repress anything, which the guy said, they don't repress anything, that couple, you two guys don't repress anything, but we repress everything. Mm. And there's got to be a middle. And then the middle couple that fall all the time, does that mean we're doing it right? You see? <laughs> but the point is that in his accurate observation, I, I congratulated the woman on, on her extremely potent um, observation in that moment, that when we say love lays waste uh, the, your garden like the north wind, we mean that's its fierceness, that's its aliveness. That couple that, that fought all the time had no conception of divorce, but they just wanted a solution that was mute, had mutual satisfactions to it. And they didn't believe in negotiation or compromise in negotiation, yeah. which is why they found me. So this is an exact um, uh, play out in a way downline forms that love, love is the most powerful dynamical bandwidth of essence of everything. And until human beings can attune to that and soul enough to be able to swim in those fierce waters, love will devolve to just a gentle form of will. So how does one discern between real love and gentleified will? <laughs> gentrified in some way. Gentrified, yeah. sure. <laughs> uh, by getting into, um, by starting A uh, with the premise of identity that we're all responsible for the contents of our unconscious. Mm. Uh, going back to um, your example of one person wants more sex, one person wants less sex. Okay. Um, let's find the wound basis. If there is any, let's investigate. If there is none, we've can check that off our list. We start with wound bases, um, not positive bases, wound bases, because they're the most upstream and unconscious. So when you learn to take responsibility for the contents of your unconscious, you become curious to a capital C as many moments as possible over and over and over until you get curious 100% of the time, which none of us gets, gets to uh, quite yet. Um, but it's on, it's, that's on the agenda, right? So that curiosity inspired by um, um, uh, and learning to ensoul your soul eye as it contributes to your human eye, which is a combination of the mind eye and the soul eye is our human eye. Uh, that's where you start. That's how you learn the difference between love as gentrified will um, uh, as opposed to a fierce north wind that challenges all of your beliefs. So it's not something that 
uh, I'm just saying this out loud for people. It's not something that can be done or certainly no. performed. It's uh, it's something that you have to deconstruct whatever forms of will firstness you're running out uh, yes. in order to arrive at uh, at love. And it's because we would say the it's the defense system in us that is leading with will. And when it's lovingly deconstructed, love automatically starts uh, leading the way more and more. And that's how you encounter it. Thank you. Exactly right. So let's close with um, this uh, chakra. We're using a chakra frame here. Mm -hmm. um, every question about intimacy and sexuality, virtually everyone is answered by the fact that when three is ensouled, healed of societal, religious, and familial malconditionings, which includes the unconscious, unconscious ones, two and four, two, three, and four, just breathe. There's nothing to do. They, it just works. There's no question of too much sex, too little sex. There's no question of you have all the power, I have none in it. There's no question of there has to be a boss uh, uh, in, in a relationship, patriarchally uh, most of the time, but matriarchally from feminism also. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, there has to be a boss, and one of us has to, you know, in some, maybe you're the boss one woman, I'm the boss the next one, but it can never be co co. Another mm -hmm. misnomer, another twisted distortion. Um, so all answers about sex, just sex, sexuality, sexual essence, sexual expression, and spirituality are indelibly linked through the fact that we're all made of love first, not will, not body, not mind. So it's not about what the body wants is what the body wants. It's about how does the soul move in human expression and incarnation the true bandwidth of love at the same time to enjoy your partner maximally lustily. Two and four are only at odds. Love and desire are only at odds when three is obstructively congested. When it's decongested, uh, two, now you might have some soul issues in four and some whole soul issues from two, from past lives, when blah, 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 this was the case, and this is all it's at. But one day, there's no question anymore uh, about two and four being at war. They're not essentially at war. They're artificially at war. And mm -hmm. the unresolved war between sex and heartfulness and love, I offer, is the because that's never been healed here in the person, in the unit called an, an individual, is why we war. War is just my will against your will. Um, and, and I'm going to dominate and you're, I'm going to win and you're going to lose. And that win-lose thing completely goes out the window when you in soul become ensouled in personhood, sagehood, and sainthood. So all of our issues with sex and sexuality, all of our issues on the planet, are because we've never been taught how to marry our soul eye to our human eye. And that's what identity was born to do. Identity, a new Eden here, not a utopia out there or, or a, um, a, 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 what's the one begins with an X, um, Xanadu. Uh, uh, it, all an internal identity because when we heal here, 
all of our filters become transparent instead of congested with unknown projections. Our filters clear and an inner identity creates an experience of an outer identity, even if it's in a dirty alley full of rats in Calcutta. So it's always about an inner Eden, never been about an outer Eden, ever. So that's our intro to this um, um, horny topic. <laughs> uh, used in both terms, it can really be uh, uh, get caught on the horns of a dilemmas uh, when it comes mm -hmm. to uh, sexuality and spirituality. But that's our foundation, and I hope um, listeners were had some new had their perceptions torn open to some new domains today. I hope about it, and mm -hmm. if and and uh, if that's the case, um, maybe downline out of these podcasts comes like we said uh, quite often. You have a a Q and A with ten people at a time or something. Uh, yeah, we could uh, absolutely to, do that. Yeah, yeah. and and I hope if you're if you're listening to the whole series, making notes. I hope um, mm -hmm. so you can really demand answers for questions that yes. you have. Uh, we like just demands for answers. Absolutely. Me too. That that means you're really fiercely curious. So. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Stace. This has been whoa, uh, head spinning in some ways. And uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing where we go next. Thank you all for listening. And uh, until next time, wish you well on your journey. Thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. To learn more about Stace Barron and Identity, please visit identity.org. To learn more about Joseph Shapiro, visit clearandopen.com. Until next time, we wish you well on your journey.